Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. Everybody say hi. Hi. Hello. Sitting around the table here in deep, dark, gentilly uh, once again is Dave Gladow. Hello. And Alfredo Narvez. Hello. I got it right for the first time ever. Right. I've known Fredo for how long a, and I got his name right. Yeah, I, was like, I was looking at you going like, oh, he's going for it. Spell Swoboda. S-V-O-B-O-D-A. All right. There you go. Grandma's proud. All right. Uh, but anyway, that's because you grew up in New Orleans. You knew Ron Swoboda and he got he gets everybody close enough to my name. So. Yeah, but, but it's not the same. It's it's not pronounced the same. No, no. But how, that's how I pronounce it when I'm on the phone because if you lead with um, the S and the V, it just confuses everybody. I so feeling. anyway, yeah. So, um, but I, I digress. So, uh, welcome back. More Star Wars talk. Um, and we are getting closer and closer to Mardi Gras. And first of all, we didn't, let's, as we were doing our little pre-talk, we didn't talk about this. What do we think about Chewbacca? Cause Chewbacca was, um, not too long ago. We had the overlords on our show a couple weeks ago, which was a really good episode. If we mm-hmm. do say so ourselves. Um, but what'd you think of the parade? Okay, it was fun. I, I really had a good time. It was uh, interesting seeing everybody dressed up, and because it was, it, you know, it's wonderful seeing the little kids dress up, but then their parents dressed up, and everybody like young people dressed up. That's fun. The uh, thing that the thing that I thought uh, I forgot that the every every time I go to Chewbacca, I forget about this, and we didn't mention it on that episode. Um, was uh, the Wranglers. Like when I'm in the 501st and we have, you know, Wranglers, it's people to say stay away and back up and everything. All the Wranglers are red shirts from Star, Star Trek. Trek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is appropriate because yeah. hey, they might die. So, But no, uh, the other thing that kind of leaped at the top of my head from Chewbacca's was all the Chewbacca onesies. It was funny seeing that. I just, like I kept joking. me? Yeah. I was in my Chewbacca onesie. I think I kind of like four or five by the time. I know. Imagine before. my embarrassment. No, no. All I can think of was that South Park episode where everybody shows up wearing a Chewbacca mask. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but it was fun. I, I thought a lot of the um, costumes were clever. A lot of the floats were clever. The throws were nice, you know. I did not know. Stuff. I did not know about the Chewbacca bandolier. Because we got this thing that we got this throw mm-hmm. that Britt was like, that's like a magnet, but it's got Velcro on the back of it. And we're really confused about it until the next day when our friend Ed had a bandolier and all those little things to add on to the Chewbacca bandolier. That was kind of cool. Yeah, that's their signature throw, so to speak. I mean, every every little. So they do the bandolier every year? Yes. Yeah. Where have I been? Here. Man. <laughs> yeah, they do every year and they kind of. You know, that's good because, again, the Sacred Dunker Wookiee, it's, uh, that's their signature thing. It's the Chewy Bond, the bandolier. I think I got, I got one of the little Mardi Gras babies, the King Cake babies that go inside the King Cake with a mini bandolier glued onto it. And that was cool. I've never seen the pink Wookiee up close. Like, that's <laughs> impressive. Yeah, the pink costume. Chewbacca, that is really cool. That's an amazing costume. And think, you think they wear it more than once a year? That'd be dangerous, right? <laughs> well, depending on the weather here. I mean, you got good weather for that parade. If you come out... I marched in tux last year in my snowtrooper armor, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, there's not a lot to that. I mean, you're wearing, you know, just kind of regular old, you know, kind of cotton polyester pants. But then you got, I mean, yeah, it's a fleece jacket on top. And I think I lost 30 pounds. Just sweat, but yeah, and I and the you know, t shirt underneath and the armor is not all that big a deal. But to be in a Wookiee costume in New Orleans, yeah, I mean, you better hope for some cold weather. Should have checked the obituaries, they probably have a new <laughs> pink Chewbacca every year. Well, that's the other thing, it's you better hope for no rain because yeah. that's that would ruin that in a it heartbeat. Would. 
Yeah, because it, it looks like it's made out of wigs, and mm. I can I can attest like our, our kids have these you know pink Mardi Gras wigs that have just been through wars. If you can imagine three kids, you know, elementary age, um, the, those things get super gross, super fast. So when I was in Nebraska, five hundred first guys who were also in the Rebel Legion, mm-hmm. um, one had a tarful. He, he made a, a tarful costume. I mean, it was the yak hair, the whole business, I, you know. And then there's another guy who had a good morning guard, but he was also, he had a, has a Chewbacca. And, of course, they have to be up on stilts and everything like that. And it's pretty impressive. But, yeah, I can't imagine walking impressive. through the streets of New Orleans, you know. Ugh, it was a cool night, though. So that yeah. Was, that helped. I mean, good. I'm sure it helped a lot of the people who were pushing all the floats, all the people who were pushing, you know, like the big old Star Destroyer. So the kid, do the kids dig Chewbacca's? Did they yeah, like it? Yeah, they liked it a lot. They had a really good time. Um, I think they didn't know going in that it's not with the big floats where they just inundate you with throws. So they were like expecting to get inundated. Um, and so it's like, no, it's not that kind of a parade. It's more of a... It's kind of like kids who up. go to Disney parades and... Uh, it's like, you know, Julie's kids were like, why aren't they throwing things? It's like, well, yeah, they don't at these parades. <laughs> yeah. That's that's most, most parades outside of uh, New Orleans, Mardi Gras. They're not really giving out stuff. You know, in, in Nebraska, they um, uh, you, people would like throw candy from, you know, cars and stuff like that. And they outlawed that because somebody might get hurt. <sighs> so it's like. Welcome to New Orleans, where we put, you know, big barrier, barriers above <laughs> trees. So, you know. And Here we throw in coconuts and shoes and purses and cabbages, cabbages, cabbages. and potatoes. Oh, geez, like, yeah. Actually, that that's the more dangerous part, the yeah. cabbages. <laughs> I mean, there's been a number of times where I have to like, okay, catch it. Or the bag of beets. Well, last year it got clipped upside the side of my head. Yeah. Well, I think our first Mardi Gras, like we um, went to Endymion. Sorry, we're, we're going on a big tangent here. We went to Endymion. And we just got done with Tux, and I got out of my Stormtrooper armor and would like, want to go see Endymion. We're like, oh, but we don't want to, can we make it all the way up to Kate and Dave's? I think is what we're talking about. Or I, no, it wasn't up to you guys. It was to Carolyn's. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, so I'm, ta- I'm throwing out names like everybody is listening to this podcast knows these people. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, and we're like, oh, we're not going to make it up there. Um, let's just go watch it on Canal. Mistake. Mistake. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I mean, rookie mistake. And it was like, uh, so we're sitting there. First of all, the crowds. Second of all, the drunk crowds. Third of all, the drunk uh, people on the floor. Brit, Brit got beamed with beads across the face. Got a black eye. I got hit on the head, and we both looked at us like, well, "This isn't fun anymore. I want to go home." So we we went home. See, <laughs> so, the problem is, by the time you get, if you're watching on Canal downtown, that particular part, they've been drinking all day yeah, long, they're and they're throwing. I mean, I had one friend one time who uh, is also a Star Wars fan. And uh, I shouted his name, and he pointed at me, and his entire side of his float just began to pelt me with stuff. It was, I mean, I literally could not catch everything because it was impossible. And so I'm just like, whatever people around me grab, feel free. I just grabbed a whole bunch of stuff because they were like competition to see who can hit me the most. So that that fun all starts Friday. Friday, two days. So yeah. here we go. Um, and Dave's getting out of town for Mardi Gras. So mm-hmm. we'll have an update on that uh, at once he gets back. Um, all right. Well, hey, it's time for Star Wars trivia. We need theme song for Star Wars trivia sometime. We need to 
add that in. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, so I'll, we'll go uh, counterclockwise. I don't know why, but the, the Price is Right theme just That's what I was thinking. Jeopardy would probably be more appropriate, but I don't know. We're the, we're, the, we're the cantina band. We'll be playing here. I'll throw it, send up your request. Play the same song. All right, same song. Anyway, sorry. That's one of my favorites. Um, go counterclockwise, and uh, I'll ask Fredo. Um, this is coming from the brown category. I don't know what it's SGA, so whatever. Um, once again, this is from the Trivial Pursuit DVD Star Wars Saga Edition. I did realize I have the classical, tr- the classic trilogy back in the other room, so this at least gets the prequels. All right, so Fredo, who tries to lock down a loose stabilizer during the first Death Star battle? Okay, we'll give everybody a moment to think about it. I would imagine the only the only one actually worried about maintenance during the battle, which would have been R2. Yep. R2-D2. I'm, yeah, I was going to say, I'm sorry, you have to say R2-D2. We cannot accept just R2. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the first so, question, yeah. Okay, uh, Dave. Who does Qui-Gon admonish? Whenever you gamble, my friend, eventually you'll lose. And we'll pause for effect. That'd be Watto. That would be Watto. That's one of. I think he is one of the um, j- just underrated characters from the prequels. The prequels. Mm-hmm. I, I especially liked how they used him in Attack of the Clones. Mm-hmm. That was some of the best acting in that movie. Is when he realizes that it's Anakin in front of him, mm-hmm. and it's from a CGI character. I mean, yes, that might be. I think I gained more <laughs> of appreciation for him once we met his uh, the Toydarians in Clone Wars. Particularly, uh, was well, a King Tokunga, Tochunka, I forget his name now. But anyway, just seeing his people and seeing, okay, he's how he is versus how everybody else is. I was like, oh, okay, so kind of gives you know, him a different personality vibe from everybody, everyone of the uh, rest of his uh, Tordarian people. By the way, going back to our Clone Wars episodes, you guys saw the thing I tagged you in today that on one of the episodes of the Clone Wars that deals with the Ryloths, they're loading the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant onto, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, that's fun. Okay. Uh, I will also uh, dovetail off of that, and I'll say that I did really like the design of that species Mm -hmm. um, a lot because, like, he looks like he's full of helium. Yeah. (laughs) It looks like a a balloon. Yeah, Yeah. he's kind of floating around like a balloon. His wings shouldn't be big enough to be able to lift him off the air ground, but they do. And it, it's Star it's Wars actually, physics. Yeah, it actually ends up being semi believable because you think, well, he's full of air or something. Uh, anyway, uh, Aaron, um, what does Han refer to when he gasps, it ain't there? It's been totally blown away. We'll let people think about this for a second. And I just want to point out that I am wearing a Star Wars shirt and Dave is wearing a Star Wars shirt. And Fredo is wearing a New Orleans shirt. New Orleans shirt. So I, I suppose the who that Jedi will let it go. So <laughs> anyway, that would be Alderaan. Correct. Yeah. They get out of hyperspace and it just ain't there. So, well, cool. All right. There's our trivia for today. Hope you had fun playing along. It's just a nice way to get us all warmed up. Uh, this episode, we're going to talk about... That's probably enough to get us out of copyright jail. So anyway, yeah, um, 
little bumper there. Yeah, there's a lot of rumors going around. None of this stuff that we're going to talk about has been like officially confirmed by Lucasfilm, not really. Mm-hmm. These are all just kind of people being interviewed who are being talked about things and um, being interviewed and asked questions about some of these rumors. Um, so uh, let's let's go first of all. Um, we talked about this in an earlier episode. Um, uh, Taika Watiti, he was rumored as being um, taking on a uh, Star Wars movie. And um, so Variety, th- by the way, this uh, this article that I'm reading from and referencing is from Fanta Tracks. Um, if you, that's a great website um, and great bunch of people that uh, have handled a lot of Star Wars news and collecting news and things like that. Um, and it's also a nice throwback back to the day when Bantha Tracks was a thing, you know, where you got this newsletter. I think I actually got one way back in the day. So anyway, um, but uh, Variety caught up with uh, Taika Waititi, who uh, won an Oscar yep. for... Uh, Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, Jojo Rabbit. I want to say adaptation, uh, screen-to-play adaptation, so yeah. Um, so anyway, Variety asked, uh, said... Uh, just by working on The Mandalorian, you've landed squarely in the future of Star Wars conversation. Where does that stand now? Taika says, I wish there was a better story. I'll put it this way. Are there discussions about Star Wars film? Like, yeah, I discussed with my friends in 1996 how cool Star Wars was. And that's what they're going off. Variety, really? Not There's nothing happening? Taika says, I think people see me hanging out with people, especially with Star Wars, and think I'm having some big discussions about it. I would effing love to. Variety, uh, you would want to do a Star Wars movie? Taika said, if it was right, I would want to do any kind of movie if it made sense and if I felt like it wasn't career suicide. Here endeth the article from Fanta Tracks. And I'm, I'm thinking of the line from All the President's Men, that's a non-denial denial. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, you got to remember, right now he's committed to making the fourth Thor movie, uh, Thor Love and Thunder. So that's not scheduled for release until November of next year. So, you know, he's got he's to shepherd that project all the way through to its end. And um, I imagine that they're not, they may not have been talking officially, officially, because he's still locked into doing that project for... A different Disney arm, Marvel, as opposed to Lucasfilm. But at the same time, he's still... I, I wouldn't be surprised if he popped up directing another episode of The Mandalorian sometime this season, you know, if he gets a chance, because that might give him a chance to kind of still be around. And I and I hope somehow IG-11 is back in... <laughs> uh, he's a I'm, droid. He can, we, he can he reveal. He's brought back to life. So you, you guys um, are more of the Marvel nerd mm-hmm. heads here than me. Um, and Have you seen Ragnarok? I have not. Okay. So see that we're going to have, there should be a separate podcast of crap that Aaron hasn't seen. And you know, oh, we'll get there. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get there. Get there. We'll get there. Um, we'll get but let me ask you this. What would, why would, because a lot of people are like when they, this rumor came out of Taika Waititi taking on a star Wars movie, I was like, yeah, <laughs> why, why would that make a good star Wars movie? His, well, his batting average is a thousand and, and making good content. Well, so, so is Martin Scorsese, but would that make it a good Star Wars? Would that make you as excited as Taika Waititi? I would probably be very nearly as excited, yes. <laughs> yeah, that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting to see La- uh, last temp- Scorsese. Last Temptation of Yoda? Is that... I know. Imagine Goodfellas. Didn't he, he, did, he did Last Temptation of Christ, right? I, okay, I'm just making sure I got a good reference there. Okay. Just imagine a Goodfellas, you know, in Star Wars with the Huts and the Bounty Hunters. But 
Yeah. Joe Pesci has a bounty on her. So yeah. anyway, but why 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 I should we specific. be excited about Taika Waititi as mm-hmm. you know taking on a movie? Uh, well, uh, if you're looking for two solid concrete examples, I would say look at the, what he did with The Mandalorian. We don't know how much of that was his creative um, direction and how much of that was Favreau and Filoni and company, but. Uh, that he directed what a lot of people consider the best episode, which was the final episode. Um, I would also say that Thor Ragnarok is very spacey. Mm-hmm, um, it is. There are a lot of space elements, cosmic elements involved in that story. Um, I think a lot of the humor would translate well. Some people may not feel that way, but um, Star Wars has never really shied away from humor per se so um do you think uh i I actually made this argument when um when gareth edwards uh was first interviewed you know with rogue one and it really struck me and i kind of got the same thing with um with ryan johnson um jj abrams just seemed a little bit too corporate Mm -hmm. but but it was like how geeked out they were how how geeked out they were that they were they were doing star wars and so I wonder, do you think the fact that now we're going, we're starting to get directors who were fans of not just the prequels, but I mean, of the original trilogy, people like, you know, of, our close, age. of close of our age that are like now film directors, do you think that's going to be, be good for Star Wars? Is that? It's a double-edged sword because on the one hand, you got to imagine that these are all creators who poured from whether kids or teens or whatever, countless hours just imagining what kind of Star Wars project they would do. But that could also be kind of putting a lot of pressure on yourself because, oh my God, I finally get a chance to make my Star Wars movie and what if I screw it up? And I mean, it was the same with John Favreau as well. Right. I mean, he was talked about like playing with his toys, you know. Right. Um, and well, when we talk about one of these other articles here in a little bit, you know, are some of the older filmmakers getting a little bit too out of touch with what star wars is i don't know but i mean ron ron howard did a really fine job i thought you know yeah but he didn't take that from the ground right i mean he was brought in to rescue it the team was running it was like okay you know so but anyway um but i'll say this i don't think it should be a prerequisite to be a fan um, of the material to begin with because the guy they brought in and I'm, I'm spacing on the name uh, the director they brought in after um, after the original director for Rogue One um, was it Gilroy? Or yeah, what? Tony Gilroy? Yeah mm-hmm. um, he didn't have any interest in the material at all they just brought him in to save it as I, under, as I understand it due to the interviews that um, he's given after the fact and he did a phenomenal job with it because he understood the material, and I think like that's that's what people worry about coming in. So you like you like Taika for his, um, just the just from his creative standpoint doesn't doesn't matter that he's already. There's two things about Taika that I really like. Um, uh, one that he has a very um, creative voice, and that he can. Uh, create character in particular that really is interesting on screen to see like what are these people doing and I want to know more about them mm-hmm. um, the other thing that I like about him um, 
is that there are a lot of underlying messages in his movies. Like sometimes it's not as subtle as you might think, but there's Thor Ragnarok is like this comic booky movie, right? But it deals with colonialism. <laughs> and it mm-hmm. talks about these really deep issues mm-hmm. and it like belies like you see an interview with taika and he's like this silly guy who's poking fun throughout the whole interview and you think oh this guy doesn't take anything seriously no that's that's the opposite of what he's doing with his films so um he's an exciting person to think about being attached to a star wars film for me yeah like i was just thinking like something like jojo rabbit which it's a comedy showing you the absurdities and the horrors of the Second World War in Germany. And he's finding a way to give it both an innocent voice and a very serious, mature voice. Because he's dealing with children growing up under the Hitler Youth. And you think, where would somebody find the comedy, the humor in that? And he's able to find it in such a that, way that... That's not Mel Brooks. Yeah, Exactly. That, but that's not just playing it for satire. Right. Because that's the other aspect is he's very human he very he values his characters as not just as creations but as people so whether it's somebody who's supposed to play the good guy or the bad guy or somebody who's been playing a villain he recognizes okay i gotta get you to at least understand where they're coming from even if later on you're gonna be like yeah but you're still the bad for the, the villain in the story somebody like hella from uh thor ragnarok who's coming at you from a this is the world we grew up in and this is what i believed in and then my dad turned around and locked me away and said I was wrong. And what would that person like that be like the moment they get free? You know. So I think he is—he's one of those creators that has a particular voice, like Dave said. And it would be interesting, exciting. We've seen what he can do within Star Wars in the Mandalorian. So giving him a movie, and as you said, it, heck, it doesn't have to be a trilogy. It can just be one movie. Just tell them, go make your Star Wars movie. Tell us what it, whatever story you want to do and be happy with it. I tend to think you're right. I think there's some validity to the report other than just people mm-hmm. saw them having lunch or whatever because that's a leap. That is a huge leap because he's involved in this universe already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why would you not assume that he's just doing Mandalorian oh, stuff? People have talked also about Favreau, you know, doing a Star Wars movie right. or, you know, even Filoni, you know? Um, so I, I didn't, I'm going to spring an audible on you guys because mm-hmm. this was also this came, you know, Bob Iger had his, you know, what quarterly we made a buku amount of money, um, you know, call. And he talked about um, spinoff series from the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's all he said, but uh, right, right away in my head, I just went straight to a Cara Dune. Yeah, show and I think that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. I just I, I really like Gina Carano in that. I really like that character. It was one of the one of the few characters in the Mandalorian that I was like, I want to know more about that character. I mean, for the most part, the rest of them either either was fleshed out. You know, either the Mandalorian was kind of fleshed out, or they were just like, oh, that's kind of a neat little side character. Mm-hmm. You know, even I really don't even care where Baby Yoda came from. It's just a neat character. You know what I mean? It's just a right. neat character. Um, but her, you know, her story, I really dug that. And I think there's some cool bridging the gap between Jedi and the Mandalorian. Mandalorian that could be done. Or even actually that happened in the original trilogy time frame. Letting us see some of the uh, Rebel Alliance 
the underpinnings, you know, because or even the you know, and the the messiness of the transition yeah. from the Empire to the New Republic. I think it'd be you know, it'd be kind of a cool series. I don't well, know. And as you said, it'd be, it would be interesting, and it makes sense. It's uh, they already are in universe. They already have uh, Gina Carano in, so it wouldn't take that much of a leap to kind of decide. Okay, we want to tell her story and have her show us a different side of the galaxy. I, it gives you an opportunity to create new content, which and Disney's after. But you're you're witnessing something here, guys. By the way, is that because I used to be of the mindset of if it ain't in the movies, I really don't give a crud about it. Mm-hmm. Because it was like all the EU books and everything, I just could not get into. A few of them I got into mm-hmm. and I dug, but I just couldn't because it just felt like fanfic. Yeah, somebody coming to my house say, "Hey, let me tell you the Star Wars story I just made up." You know, and it just kind of annoyed me. You know, I mean, it's like I said, this is confession time for Aaron. Mm-hmm. But now when I'm starting to see these characters, I'm like, yeah, I do want to know more about, you know, some of these people. Um, and I think Disney Plus is going to be a great venue for that. And again, they're, they're not locked in to any long-term plans. They can give Cara Dune one season, eight episodes. And, okay, we're done. Thank you. You know, it's not mandated that she get a set amount of time or a certain amount of story, you know, Right. They can make it as much as they want to. I think I rankled slightly at that the comment, his exact comments. If I don't remember what they exactly were, but it was along the lines of "We're moving away from films, but we know Mandalorian's a huge success. We're going to give you more Mandalorian, and we're going to do a spinoff." <laughs> oh, series. he's all about you know? money. He's all about money. Yeah, and and so like, and especially um, in the, especially in that phone call. Yeah, I mean, I understand. It's a money it's like, call. <laughs> it's like when I was in a band. It's like, why, well, yes, sir, we will play Brown Eyed Girl. You know, it's like it, you. Even you pay the you bills, expect, you get what you want. Even though you don't, you know. <laughs> but all that said, I would not turn down a Cara Dune story. Um, she what would. What other, potential, what other potential spinoffs? Because that was the only one that I really kind of went to. But what other potential spinoffs do you think could there be? Quill, maybe? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, Moff, Moff Gideon. I yeah. think there's one there. But I think that might be handled in the Clone Wars. Um, you know, I love the the client. Uh, yeah. He was intriguing as all. I would, yeah, yeah, true. True. Yeah. More bounty hunters. You're gonna have Boss come in. Well, of course, we're putting Bosk in everything. Exactly. So. We have to, we more Bosk. It's mandated. That, um, that's what the Disney shareholders are crying for. We Boss. need more Bosk. Bosk. <laughs> but I was just gonna say. I mean, that was the idea of the Star Wars stories movies. It was gonna be, oh, we're gonna show you a singular movie while we're also making this trilogy. We know that they're not making a trilogy for the next few years. But if they can get Taika Waititi to make one movie here or they can make Martin Scorsese to make a movie there that they could still get Star Wars movies on the big screen while letting whether it's Ryan Johnson or Kevin Feige or whoever else is going to be designing the next trilogy time to set their stuff together they're not locked in like oh my gosh we got to rush product out because we're locked into a day we can put all this stuff as we're comfortable with it same thing with the shows. I think you and I agree on that, too, because mm-hmm. we've talked about that, and I think on a previous episode, too, mm-hmm. where it's like they're in this they're in this Marvel mindset right now of everything has to connect. Mm-hmm. It's one big story. Uh, all, the, all the canon has to line up perfectly. And it's like, well, just, just tell us interesting stories, which mm-hmm. is more of the DC model right mm-hmm. now. So. That's why That's why one of the most enjoyable books that I've read recently was From a Certain Point of View. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, 
you know, and whether you want to say any of it was canon, whatever, but I mean, it's, you know, it follows that timeline of, you know, a new hope, but just from here are these little side stories that were going on and it was right. so enjoyable. It was very enjoyable. And I, you know, I, I really get kind of bent out of shape about, is it canon? Is it not canon? It's just like, I just want to enjoy, you right. know, whatever. Um, but I also want it to make sense. I don't want to go to one movie and say, or, or read one book and say, all right, this is happening here. And then another one say, Oh yeah, I remember that. And I'm <laughs> McClunky that you don't want to go that way. I'm <laughs> <laughs> That's what the story groups for. You see that Clean sign that says rib tips. Yeah, no, you Clean don't want to go that way. Right. Um, all right. Well, anyway, let's move to our next, uh, rumor. And, uh, again, from Fanthatrax. Um, uh, and this is, um, uh, about Cassian Andor. And, uh, so again, these are very short. So if this is, Fanta tracks, this is not a backhanded compliment, is great for like early morning, you know, I'm just waking up and I just want to read, I don't want to read the entire New York Times type of news, you know, type mm-hmm. of stuff. So anyway, um, but anyway, while initially it was understood that Disney Plus Kenobi series would arrive before Rogue One spinoff Cassian Andor series, it looks like the roles have reversed as Kenobi production slides back to 2021, which we talked about in previous episode, um, retaining the same release date. It looks like Cassian has been stepped forward. Diego Luna addressed this while discussing season two of Netflix show Narcos Mexico. Quote, yes, we are doing it. We are doing it this year. It's happening and I'm getting ready for it. I'm really excited. I can't wait. It's really cool to tell a story where you already know the ending. That's interesting. Yeah, you die. Um, (laughs) uh, It is a different approach because of the beauty and how uh, things happen. It's not just what happens. It's not the typical way of approaching a story. It's about how things happen, which in fact is the same that happened in Rogue One. How many times does he say happened in this? Uh, This is like... Mm -hmm was your press clippings written by our present anyway uh happened in rogue one you know the ending but you don't know how it happened and we have that challenge in front of us again which is exciting um on a side note when i got alan tudek to um sign my rogue one poster was the day after it was announced that k2so was going to be in um in the cassian andor series i was really excited about that Mm -hmm. so um Oh no! What do you think about this? Apparently, it's happening because we've, you know, got uh, happened. Happened is in there a whole bunch of times. Um, are you? How excited are you for the Cassian Andor series? It is one of my favorite characters at this point, so definitely excited. Uh, and I, you why, know, why is he one of your favorite characters? The moral ambiguity. He's a complicated guy, and he's coming at it from. And again, I, I love that fight that he and Jen have in the uh, ship as they're leaving. Oh, he says, I've been in this fight since I was six years old. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and like you realize, uh, I don't know at what point in that fight, you realize that they both are right. Um, he didn't really give life a chance in that moment. He didn't give her father a chance, but... Um, he's coming at it from a perspective of we have to win this thing and i've been in this forever and you know you have to get your hands dirty and you know so i i wondered about this it was like so is this going to be a story about how he you know you know becomes but i suppose he kind of became a rebel at the age of six Mm -hmm. and if k2so is going to be in it i mean 
Um, oh, we got. I, I guess. I guess I'm assuming that this is we're going to be in the heart of, you know, yeah. Star Wars Rebels, the New Hope land. I would imagine. Or Rogue One land, not uh, not New Hope because he dies before New Hope. Right. Well, yeah. Because I mean, I imagine we might get something along the lines of kind of like the Mandalorian, where we see his character before Rogue, before we meet him in Rogue Maybe One. Maybe some flashbacks. Maybe some flashbacks, kind of like the Mandalorian did. Maybe a bit more, but not too much because obviously he's a star. I think it's a great idea because, I mean, he's right in that we meet the character probably at its lowest. He's feeling very down about the chances of the Alliance and he's just trudging along. He's just committing whatever he's got to do to keep the fight going. And you get a sense that there was once hope and optimism in him about the cause that he was fighting for and that it slowly got drained away from him as he was forced to make more and more gray moral choices. And then Jen rekindles that in him. Exactly. And, and it's really uplifting to see that moment where he comes to her and it's like, I believe in you. Right. And we're going to do this so thing. So getting to see all of that, but also getting to see that side of the Empire, which because of the, in the original treasure, we didn't really get to see too much of it. We didn't get to see how oppressive they were, how overbearing they were. You know, Rogue One really got us a good view of it and Rebels did it as well. Solo us, gave us a, a glimpse right. of it. So kind of giving us more and more of a sense of what the life under the Empire is and why people would like casting would turn to the Alliance. One, I'm very I'm very surprised. I was very surprised that we didn't see any of Cassian in Star Wars Rebels in that last season. I think it would have made sense. It would have kind mm-hmm. of linked some things. But anyway. Him and Ahsoka. <laughs> from, from a, from, on a different point, however, the thing that's interesting to me about this article, like I said, the last one with Taika was like a non-denial denial. Mm-hmm. When's the last time that you heard anybody say anything about the Cassian Andor series? It, it's been it's a, a long long-time. time, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, this almost signals Disney's panic over Kenobi. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's like, oh, crud. And then it's like, okay, what do we, oh, Cassian, you're up. You know, it's like, and it's like the Happy Days episode where they put Ralph Mouth into the basketball game. He takes off his sweats and he's wearing his street clothes because <laughs> he never gets to play, you know. Um, it just seems like, okay, we got all of a sudden, it, we're going to, hopefully this doesn't suffer that it's a hurry up type of a thing. That's the cynic in me that is that is seeing this like all of a sudden, you know, because you haven't heard anything about production on Cassie and Andor. I don't know. I'd... Probably, I mean, because you got to figure, okay, if you're looking at it from Disney's designs, their plan was Mandalorian kicks off Disney Plus and come February we get Clone Wars. You know what was supposed to happen in between that? Mm-hmm. By the way, the end of January, you know what we were supposed to get? What? We were supposed to know what the next trilogy was going to be and who was going to be directing it. So that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Right. So they're having to kick projects down the road. And they were waiting to see how well Rise of Skywalker did. And they, I mean, they made a whole bunch of money. So they got to be happy about that. But anyway, keep right. going. But I'm saying, so you got to figure they already know, they already have their uh, project for the start of the year, which is Clone Wars, final season of Clone Wars. And they know they're going to, their plan for the fall is Mandalorian season two. So they probably need a project to come in a year from now, which more than likely would have been Obi-Wan. Because they start filming, you know, the scripts are locked in. They start filming sometime around this time, you know, production bad time. And then you know, special effects. Music. Yeah, Mandalorian took t- has taken about a year. Right. From shooting to... To, pro- to release. Yeah. yeah so, so you figure, okay, they're probably thinking Obi-Wan was going to be the project that was going to take Clone Wars spot. 
next year this time. Yeah. Well, now that it's not there, you know, rather than, you know, it's going to kick down the road for whenever they sort it out, it's a lot better see if you can get the casting Android project in because you already got casting, you already got some pre-production done. So it's a lot easier to move that up than necessarily delay and be without any new Star Wars property come spring 2021 because, or, you know, because at that point they're going to be like, uh, we're going to re-release the movies. So, how, so Fredo, how, uh, how excited are you for casting Andor series? I am. I'm very excited. I love Diego Luna's take on the role. I loved, uh, I mean, Rogue One was some of my favorite movies uh, that have come out in the last decade. Um, I It'll be interesting to see what kind of characterization he gives to this role at this point because it's before we meet him, like I said, in uh, Rogue One. It's going to be interesting to see because they're going to show us how he and K2 met. That's going to be an interesting dynamic. Uh, and just getting to see those elements of the Rebel Alliance and how he maneuvered his way through the Empire. Again, it's a different side of Star Wars. It's one of the beauties of all these projects is they're giving us different slices of the same big universe. And I, th- I think you know, the, the interesting thing, too, about what's happening, seeming seemingly happening in the Disney Plus series that are being released is that it's it's safe territory. Mm-hmm. Again, for old farts like us, you know, um, <laughs> it's uh, it's like okay, Cassian Andor, sure, but it's happening in that time frame that right. you know, right up close to Rogue One and old, you know, yeah, the OT. I'm good. Mandalorian is that way too. He looks like Boba Fett. All right, you know, there and there was a lot of stuff we talked about just making people feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, Kenobi, you know, I'm still skeptical about the story, but I mean, at least, but it's going to be, I, I think what's, frame. I think what's going to be interesting is when Star Wars finally takes the leap and starts a new story based around people and things that we have never seen. There's always probably going to be the force. There's probably mm-hmm. always going to be Jedi, mm-hmm. but you're not going to see a Garandon playing a clarinet. You're not going to see, you know, Bosk. You're not going to see baby Yoda. It's going to be, here's totally new people, you know, um, and that will be, that will be a, a daring thing for them to do. I look forward to that, but I also look forward to. This. Do you look forward to it though with a little trepidation? Well, are think, you, are you a bit nervous because we haven't gotten really anything truly original? I think there's a step between what we're doing now and that which is let's focus in on characters that aren't original trilogy focused. So um, Ahsoka, are we going to get an Ahsoka series? Yes. Okay. But I'm going to, I'm going to throw in a beer fest, beer fest reference here when, you know, when landfill dies and all of a sudden landfill's brother shows up (laughs) and it's landfill, you know? Yeah, sure. It's not Boba Fett. But he looks a lot like Boba Fett. You know, it's it's Ahsoka, which is different, but, you know, we've already seen, you know, yeah. I, I do still think that's a leap, though, because, like you said, you're making old farts happy, and, like, the three people in this room would love to see an Ahsoka. By the way, are you going to McClunky that? Just wondering. Yeah, I don't I'm know. A fart? Fart? Probably not. Yeah. I mean, it is one of the seven naughty words, but, you know, it really is, but... <laughs> Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I've lost track. You know what goes through on network television nowadays. I, I exactly. can't even know. 
But um, she, she's not a character that appeals to our generation sure. originally. So it's like, again, it's a leap of looking forward and and like catering to a different audience. And so for me anyway, like when I look at that, I was like, I'm waiting for that. Like they, we haven't even done that yet. And so like baby steps, let's get that sure. going too. I mean, yeah, it's, it's leading them gently to, you don't want to push yeah. them off the cliff, but I, I'm just saying that, um, you know, even Rise of Skywalker had a battle droid in it. You know, there were callbacks to the prequel trilogy. So everybody, whether it's the young kids who grew up with the prequel trilogy or the old people like us who grew up with the OT, there was something to make everybody happy. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying when you, when they take that step to make one thing that nobody recognizes, and maybe there's only one common thread where it's like, all right, like I said, there's, okay, I see a lightsaber or I see, Jedi. but nobody talks about, you know, anything that's been previous. That's, that's going to be, that's going to be interesting. That's what I, and I wonder maybe that's sort of the project that they gave to Ryan Johnson or that they were thinking of putting together with, under Kevin Feige. Because you got to think about that. You have to think three steps ahead because you can't just simply leap without knowing. That's why, for example, when you look at it this way, Mandalorian introduced elements that existed only in an animated kids show. And now it's brought them on to live TV, so to speak. You know, we stuff might be, like the Darksaber and Death Watch. We might be developing a future episode here because, you know, it's, it is it is one of those things too where it also, mm-hmm. if you do something totally new, you might be just close enough because like I said, I've said the, mm-hmm. the movie I want to see is the one where it's the origins of the Force, you know, the origins of the Jedi, the origins of the Sith. Mm-hmm. I think that would be way cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but you start getting too close to things that have already existed like Knights of the Old Republic mm-hmm. and you're going to have somebody who's played that video game and gone, you know, but, 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 but what about this person who was in the video game? Why didn't you put him in that movie? And now I'm mad and here's my Look. pitchfork, you know, it's, or Look, when, when Clone Wars called the planet Moraband and when Rise of Skywalker called it Exegol, the back of my head kept going, it's Corybond. McClunky. <laughs> and you can McClunky that. Yeah, yeah. we will. <laughs> but, you have sequel- to stretch out the McClunky because he stretched out the, the other yeah, one. Right. So. Well, the sequel trilogy's already done this, right? True. I mean, like, you're already, like, all this EU content has just been wiped clean. And I know a lot of people were upset with the way that, in particular, um, um, Ben Solo was handled. It's like, well, why not, why not make him an existing character that already exists in the lore? Like Jason Solo. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of people are upset over that. But those movies still made a billion dollars each. So it's like, at the end of the day, they're going to do what they think is going to make them money. So, um, But interesting offshoot from this, do we think there will be rebels in this Cassian show because mm. the time frame... You know, Rex. you know, so you, you're talking about uh, like Star Wars Rebels characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the only thing that and I've wondered about that, too, even in the Mandalorian, like, would you see Sabine? Would you see Ahsoka? Because they're around because mm-hmm. they're looking for Ezra. It's I think it'd be tough to make a leap from. It's easier to make a leap from live action to animated. Right than it is for an animated character to be brought into live action. Particularly because, when it doesn't sound the same? Well, they could make it so they could sound the same. I mean, there's things that you could do. Like, even if, like, you know, 
Yeah, I mean, you could always have oh, the, the person could dub it, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying that it's like if I'm I'm worried. For example, if they ever make a live action Ahsoka, would it just look like I don't know somebody's cosplaying as Ahsoka? Not to not to diss anybody's cosplay on Ahsoka, you know, because a lot of people put a lot of time into it, but it mm-hmm. never looks exactly like what we know. You know what I mean? You know, um, so that that's I think it would be cool, but it'd be interesting how they would do it. And again, it, it, it however, if they it's all of a sudden here's Kane and Jarrus, and it's not Freddie Prince's Junior's voice, mm-hmm. then it's kind of like it's mm. gonna throw you off that first time he speaks. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Because particularly a lot of characters, it's all about the feel, and you've gotten accustomed. I mean, that's one of the things that animation does. It gives you that opportunity to get that sense of that character. Because it all comes from the voice. It's the same thing that happened with Vader, with James Earl Jones' voice. All that power and realness and danger that he presented came from his voice. So and, all and of a sudden, you know changing what? it. And that is something I will say. This when uh, in the special editions of uh, Empire, when Vader says, you know. Tell alert my star destroyer star whatever I mean it's actually uh, the dude who was in Resistance and he actually did Vader's voice in some video games, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't sound right, you know. (laughs) It sticks, huh? (laughs) And so it is. I mean, I think you got to be you got to be careful about that. I think Um, I think it'd be cool, but then also it's like, do we need it? You know. Um, Well, what if they throw in somebody like? Vader or even Maul. Interesting. I don't know. Because you could get Ray Park back. While we're talking about Cassian Andor, here's the other big one that Dave sent us uh, a couple days ago. Again, rumor. I'm guessing this this is a rumor because, I mean, if this was the honest to God truth, I think that Lucasfilm would have like rolled this out in front of a big parade and this is i'm reading from the illuminerdy.com which is an <laughs> awesome name for a website good job fair play um george lucas returning to star wars as executive producer on cassian andor series hmm. so um says while well, the illuminati i love it already hinted at the most explosive news about the upcoming cassian andor series for disney plus we can now openly confirm that george lucas is returning to the star wars universe as writer and executive producer writer and executive producer um so i'm just gonna leave it at that um so like i said i made a i, I gotta i gotta admit i'm of mixed i'm a mixed bag on this this one it requires a giant grain of salt because already some reporters have come out and said this is bunk. So again, yeah, it's, this is, we're talking rumor land. Yeah. So let's maybe let's frame let's frame the uh, discussion this way. Um, how would you feel if George Lucas was coming back to Star Wars, and how much do you think they pay him? <laughs> well, I, well, here's my question: Would he do it for money? Because I wonder. I mean, he got paid. I, th- I think he, I think because it's been reported how ticked off he is at the way the route that they went on the sequel trilogy and mm-hmm. probably to stick it to Bob Iger, I think he would make him pay handsomely. <laughs> anyway, um, right. no, but I was thinking it would be inter- It would be an interesting dynamic because for the first time ever, George Lucas, even though he'd be executive producer and writer, would not have the final say. 
Well, here's, but here's the other thing. So here's why I'm a mixed bag. Um, I think it'd be way cool. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of like when, you know, it's, it's fourth quarter and, you know, Shane Falco comes in to, you know, win the game for, you know, the Washington Sentinels, you know, or second half. Sorry. I just, yeah, I just made a replacements reference here. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, it'd be cool to see him walk in the locker room and say, all right, guys, I'm back, you know, (laughs) but here's the other thing. George Lucas is an awesome story creator, but he's an awful writer. There would have to be a, there would have to be a screenwriter assigned to him. Lawrence Kasdan saved his butt in Empire and Jedi, because if you, and future episode, we're going to talk about how Star Wars, you know, was almost almost not that great. And really one of the things that's not great about Star Wars is the dialogue and just the, I mean, just the script, you know, I mean, he's, he's a great story creator. He's an awful writer. That's that's my. It's a dialogue. Maybe 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 awful is too much of a word. I don't know, di- he's always struggled with dialogue, right? And the like, and the whole, the really famous uh, Harrison Ford quote on that. I won't quote it here because then we you can have write to this McClunky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you can write this McClunky, but you sure as heck McClunky. can't uh, can't say it. Um, and that's that's been the case since the very beginning. And so yeah, like that. He deserves that critique. Um, yeah, he, he would. Him. He would need help. I mean, he would need help because, like, he can build a world like no one else. This is the reason this exists. All of this, including his imagination, this, <laughs> is incredible. <laughs> including yeah. this podcast. I mean, it's because of him. And um, I would love for him to be attached to anything Star Wars. Now, which which one of you said it? it you know, it'd be interesting to see how he handles characters he didn't create that was you mm-hmm. um, that's great podcasting you know <laughs> moment i'm pointing to one person here and saying Who raises that's you. His hand. raise this hand it was fredo yeah yeah no because it's uh it's an interesting point because he didn't create casting and or he didn't create k2so these are creations of somebody else based on the universe created i think we also have to recognize that george is an artist in the grandest sense like he can't let go you know, that's why we have the special editions. That's why when never came out in Laserdisc and DVD, he had to go back and retouch something up. I wonder how much, again, he has, like all great artists, he wants to make the thing better than perfect. How would he do working under somebody else's thumb, so to speak? He's always been an independent uh, filmmaker, whether it was THX 1138 or American Graffiti Star Wars, he was, I mean, he's always said, you know, this merch, the, you know, the merchandising uh, arm of Star Wars funded his ability to tell all the studios, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And, you know, he got away with it for so long, but now it's not his anymore. And how much of that would he be willing to put himself through? So getting to what he said, he would need, he would need help continuing on a little bit with this story mm-hmm. uh, said, but the bigger news about the series might be about who's working behind the camera on the series. Our sources have confirmed that none other than George Lucas is set to join the project as both writer and executive producer. This is a major development for Lucas who hasn't been directly involved in star Wars universe for years. 
Um, this will, will also be the first time as a writer for the franchise since the release of uh, Revenge of the Sith. Mm-hmm. Also working on the series will be Tony Gilroy, who wrote the screenplay for Rogue One and helped introduce Cassian and K2SO to the franchise in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I guess here's my other question is how, what do we think, how well would he Mesh. collaborate with, you know, with somebody else and he well here's the thing he's shown he's able to work with somebody else because he did with Lawrence Kasdan Erwin Kirshner um, uh, Gary Kurtz but even Gary Kurtz at some point left yeah, Richard um, Marquand did, Richard uh, Marquand yeah. rest in peace um, so he's shown the ability but there's the thing he showed that ability when he was a young filmmaker by the time we get to the prequel trilogy which was 21 years ago he's very much the man in charge. I forget the name of the producer for um, the prequel trilogy, but it was basically George's show. And uh, the, I'm trying to remember, the, he was lining up the following project he was going to uh, line up after Revenge of the Sith, uh, the Tuskegee Airmen movie, Red Tails. He had been working on that for 20 years, and he finally just gave it up, executive producing somebody else directed. Um, so he hasn't, this is the other thing, is he hasn't really made anything officially as a creator in close to 15 years since Revenge of the Sith. So what's it going to be like going back into the studio, going back into a set, you know, you know, flexing those muscles again when they haven't been really been used for so long and they're not going to be flexed in a way in which he was accustomed to because now this is somebody else's. He has to, you know, Disney may say, oh, we love having you, George. Come on in. By all means, we're glad to have you back. But we can't have you doing this, this, and this. So I want to clarify, too. Gareth Edwards was the original director of Rogue One. And Tony Gilroy was, he was credited as a a writer uh, on on Rogue One. Though he was the one, I think, who came in and directed all the reshoots and changed the film substantially. So... Um, he's not the one who created those characters. He, he certainly had a good handle on who they were by the end of the creative process there. So, I, so I, when, you, when you first saw this article, yeah. you know, again, rumor, mm-hmm. so sing Adele in your head. Um, what, was your, what was your gut reaction, Dave? Were you like, what, what was like, was it like, yay or no or what? What was your, what was your gut reaction? I, I mixed feelings. I was excited for the series, and I was excited that George was doing something that he obviously feels, feels passionate about, and I thought that it would be good. I, I mean, I think he would produce good ideas that would make for good cinema, um, but it felt a little sad that, you know, like he's not able to let it go, too. Well, it's also kind of sad that Disney has had a hard, and Lucasfilm has had a hard time finding. It. Again, you you have to go back say, "Hey, can you come back and play another season?" Because yeah. the quarterback mm-hmm. we got ain't cutting it. Yeah, you know they haven't been able to find that person to carry the torch. I think they hope that J.J. Abrams would be it, and J.J. just gave him a remix the original trilogy. Know, um, so I I think you know it's it's kind of a you know. So how do you think how do you think fandom will? Because I have not heard I have not listened I've been I haven't been listening to any other podcast so I don't how do you think fandom would react to 
George Lucas coming back? Do you think it's, you know... There'll be someone before it. They'll, they'll see it as... He's I mean, is coming. this kind of like Brett Favre going to the Vikings? I wouldn't say that much. But, well, <laughs> it may... But here's the interesting. Because I think some people, particularly people who did not like uh, the sequel trilogy, would look at it as, he's coming to save Star Wars from Disney. And then there'll be some people who'll be like, uh, but did you remember what he last did and the prequels? And they start quoting the sand speech about how it's rough and coarse and gets everywhere, you know? So... There would be a mixed reaction, I would imagine, until we saw what that collaboration looked like. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, either everybody would get on board, ready to see it, or alarms would start ringing everywhere. I mean, it makes sense, the collaboration. um, Because if you think about Lucas being a world builder of of just tremendous imagination, as we've spoken to, and then you have somebody like Gilroy, who's a fixer, who comes in and and makes it work. you could you could see the collaboration working really really well. You know the other interesting thing here is that you know Lucas is very much into the Force, mm-hmm. and this would be a series that would have nothing to do with the Force. He's very much a child of the sixties. You would you would think that the the interesting place to put him would be the Obi Wan series, mm-hmm. but to put him in the Cassian series, I mean, if this is true, that's kind of an interesting placement. But it might also be a question of timing. You know, maybe they were thinking he could come in for Obi Wan. What's he, what's he doing except counting his billions of dollars of money? You well, remember know? he donated all that, all those bill, the majority of the Disney billions away. That's, I I suppose he's like, oh crud, the wing of my new museum needs, uh, you know, it's a new piece. We need we need some more stuff here. So Disney, mm-hmm. what do you got for me? No, but I I, I was gonna say, uh, I was he ma- involved in the new Indiana Jones movie? Sorry, no. All or is that, that just Steven Spielberg? All that was bought lock, stock, and barrel by Disney. And I wonder if there's some hurt feelings because, you know, remember he gave Disney all his script treatments and ideas for so the trilogy. Indiana Jones was paramount. Is that is that owned by Disney now? It's Lucasfilm. I know it's Lucasfilm, but is it but is it owned by because it was Paramount was the distributor, not the so, owner. Anyway. Yeah, they may still distribute the new movie. I don't know what the relationship is there, but um Sorry, I, had to I cut you no, off. No. Yeah, no, I mean, I go, I go, but you know, with this, I, I kind of go back to the Obi Wan getting delayed thing, and and it makes me sad, because um, I really want to see that series, but I'd seen, I've seen speculation now that this thing's going to get Ooh. reworked, back into a, a movie, which is what it was originally, um, and I wanted to. Get your guys' thoughts on that. Is it, would would you be more in favor of it as a series or or as a movie? Either way, where it's placed in the timeline, I'm skeptical. Yeah, I don't I don't care if it's even one episode or you know it because it still runs. It'll be interesting to see what they do with it because if you're going to put it in between three and four, then you know you run the risk of really doing some damage to that character's nobility that you know is there in episode four because if he all right uh okay luke looks like it's like if you're watching after your neighbor's dog and then you know go to the casino for you know overnight and just like oh he'll be fine you know he can serve you i leave him some food and water and i'll pick up the poo you know when i get home you know so so just a quick sidebar lucas is executive producer on indiana jones five all right. So he's in there with Spielberg and Disney. 
So maybe that's where the discussions kind of got brought up. Hey, would you mind sliding over? I was saying regarding timing on Obi-Wan, maybe that's where they did thought bring him in. Because, again, I was saying he's kind of a child of the 60s, so he's always been about the, the portraying the force in very new age terms, very broad, very, you know, it can you know be very humanistic but very universal. Uh, but maybe it's a situation where they go and like, look, we kicked Obi-Wan down the road and we don't know what that's going to be like. But we want you to be working with us still. So we got this next show coming up. Would you step in on it? You know, sometimes sometimes it may just be as simple as uh, Obi-Wan's not ready yet, uh, but we need you now. To your to your question, Dave, though, I, I think Obi-Wan would work better as a movie, just a single movie, mm-hmm. than... Um, than a series. Um, the it was only, rumored to be very short. Yeah, I mean, six episodes. Yeah. I think. I, I still, you know, I agree with, you know, what I've heard the guys on Star Wars Underworld say. I think the way it works is, you know, with flashbacks and things like that. And if you do the flashback um, route, then a series works. But otherwise, I'm still like going, homeboys hanging out on Tatooine. And even if you give him what? one single episode, uh, communing with uh, Qui Gon, well, yeah, learning how to live—that's one so, hour. So great, he goes. So he goes and razzles with some, you know, sand people, or you know, learns to tame a dewback. You know, it's like that's one episode. So I we got mean, two. You know, I mean, that's, so that's why I'm saying that it's like I'd be. I really want. I, I'm anxious to be proven wrong on all this, but that's just my skepticism of it. It's kind of like you know. Um, Uh, one thing i would add on george lucas the the thought that has occurred to me is that he might want back in now because the technology is there to do a tv series and that was something that he had struggled with for a decade plus i think trying to get the underworld series off the ground and all those scripts that he had 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 commissioned and written Mm -hmm. um and it just it just seemed like the dollars and cents of it never made sense. And so he wasn't able to do it. And now it's working. So, so, and and here's the thing though, I think with him coming back, there was, there was a book that I read. It was, um, ends up, it ends up being on leadership. It was called, um, good to great. And one of the chapters in there was, you know, knowing where people sit on the bus. Mm -hmm. It's like, everybody has their seat on the bus that makes the bus move well and it's like basically it's like know your employees strengths you know or know your your team's strengths you know what is each person good at and having the strength to say you know what george you are the visionary of this team you you develop stories better and everything but you know with all due respect you can't write your way out of a paper bag so we're gonna let dave write you know but you got to come up with the story, talk, you, you work with Dave. And so, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. knowing, knowing, so somebody at Lucasfilm has to have the strength to say, you know, here's what we want happening. Again, it's kind of like that. Lucas, you come up this with the ideas, Kasdan, you write them, you know, and, and, uh, you JJ, know, you t- t- yeah, JJ, you film them, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. and that's going to be tough for people to do, especially when you're talking about the creator with, you know, because I, visually, the the prequels, you know, especially two and three, are stunning. But it's just 
awful direction and awful writing. I was just thinking because uh, we're not expecting to go into Dave's point. We're not expecting the Cassian series to be long running, right? We're expecting to be single season. I think, think one season. Okay. And this might be a good way for Disney to try out if they can do that Underworld series or do whatever Lucas is pitching to them. If if they're thinking of a longer term uh, partnership, this might be a project where they can say, okay, we'll give you the reins. We'll see how it works. And then if it doesn't, well, okay, you go, okay, thank you, George. Thank you for your time, and you move on. But if it does work and it's shown that it can work, then you can turn around and say, okay, George, that was great. We did a great Cash and Andor show. You said you had an idea for something else and design that project like the way you described, where he's coming up with the idea for the show. They get somebody to come in and write the script with them, and they'll start lining up that project as a longer-running project as opposed to just a single six- to eight-episode series. So again, before anybody gets too fired up, everything we talked about tonight are rumors. Nothing is set in stone. Who knows? You know, we might still get the Obi-Wan series first. George Lucas might not have anything to do with anything. Mm -hmm. Taika Waititi might be directing a Star Wars movie, might not, you know. So, but it is kind of fun to like, those are the fun conversations to have. And again, what does it mean for, you know, Star Wars? Um, So... Can I do one last thing? Yeah. Because we got Valentine's Day coming up. And I think this episode will drop on Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Day. What do you guys think is the most romantic moment in Star Wars? Oh, I, I it's what's on your shirt right now. I mean, <laughs> the you know, the I love you, I know, you know, that was, I, my gosh, that was one of the best, you know, moments i think you know in in star wars i was mm-hmm. it was and it wasn't what was written it was i love you i love you too right and thank you harrison ford to say no that's not what Har- that's not what han solo would say you know so to, anyway. to quote kevin smith uh, kevin smith like a pimp he went i know yeah it was so good that they had to uh flip it around for jedi uh where he says i love you and she says i know well, of course then in uh in solo mm-hmm I hate you. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Carrie Fisher acted the McClunky out of that scene. Mm-hmm. I get emotional watching that scene because you can see her face just crumple. Yeah. As he's frozen in carbonite and it's just chewy screaming. And yeah, I mean, that's that moment's hard to beat. Yeah. Are there any other moments though that come out? Come up? For you? See, that's the thing. I'm, I'm trying to think. Unfortunately, the prequels, we're talking about bad writing. I mean, all I can think in the back of my head, it's aggressive negotiations. And I'm just like, ah, ah, you know, <laughs> you know, um, or, you know, you know ter- I, let's go back to Naboo. Well, I will, I will say though, when they were on Naboo and um, stand there in front of the lake and, and Anakin's doing the heavy flirting and stuff like that, I mean, that was, um, that was pretty well played, mm-hmm. you know, the, the soft, you know, rubbing of her arm and, you know, he's, he's making his move and it, it kind of, you know, it took us all back to like being, you know, 16, 17 years old. It's like, all right, am I going to be able to get away with this? Okay. okay. Yep. All right. You know, <laughs> I mean, well, that, that sounded awful, but I mean, that's the way we all did. Can I hold her hand? Yeah. Okay. She didn't pull my hand. Okay. You know, and I always thought it made sense that their relationship was a bit awkward because he, they're both very accomplished people at a very early age. 
So it makes sense that neither one of them would know necessarily how to maneuver, you know, a romantic, emotional relationship at the start. Like, because it's not like they get taught, okay, in Jedi class, this is how you hit on a girl, or this is how you convince a girl you like her. It's, you know, very strict. And she lived a life that was very strict, very ordered. And all of a sudden, there's all these feelings and emotions. So I get the sense of where he was going. Again, the... The, la- the lines that get it don't do them any favors. I don't know what this says about Star Wars, but it feels like to me the moments that work the best are the ones that are just laced with tragedy. Mm-hmm. It's like you talk about the Leia and Han moment with the with the carbon freezing, but I also feel like the wedding at the end of two mm-hmm. with Across the Stars. Um Gosh, you're just like, oh man, they're doomed. Yeah, <laughs> they're doomed. And they signed there, and the galaxy's death warrants. Yeah, and it's terrible, but it but it works in that moment. Mm-hmm. By the way, and kind of a funny little tangent here, I still get a kick out of we we have we all have a friend who has a huge crush on Linda Ronstadt, and he also does not give one rat's patut about Star Wars. Never seen a Star Wars movie and everything. I loved it the other day when I got to say that, yeah, George Lucas dated Linda Ronstadt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Not it all together. It's like, you, you need to come over to, to our side there, Ryan. So anyway, <laughs> but do were you, is that your scene? The, the, yeah, I love you. I know. Yeah. yeah. But let's, let's have, we should, okay. Future episode. Then let's identify all the romantic scenes in star Wars. Cause I don't think there are that many. They're not, they're not. <laughs> That'd be a short episode. That'd be a short episode. So with that, we will say happy Valentine's day and, happy <laughs> and, uh, um, hope you all uh, have a great uh, carnival, Mardi Gras, and um, yeah. So until then, we will say who dat? Who dat? Who dat? My monkey. <laughs> <laughs>